Hi, and welcome to The Commons at HBC, a podcast and virtual space for community, conversation, and connection brought to you by the Young Adult Ministry of Highland Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I am your host, David Bannister, longtime member who's volunteered all over the church. If this is your first time listening, welcome. The concept is simple. We will meet with our guest, hear what's going on at the church, and discuss this past week's sermon. So let's get started. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Commons at HBC, a digital place for us to connect. Um, this is episode six, I believe. Uh, I hope you've been following along. I had a great long conversation that came out really late last this past weekend. I had some podcast drama where I thought I had published it and I didn't. And so I'm sorry that it dropped on Saturday. Um, Aaron, Aaron Phelps was a great sport and she messaged me and said, Hey David, where's the podcast? And I said, Oh, I put, I, I pushed it. Apparently I had not. So sorry, Aaron about that. Um, but if you all go back and listen to it or haven't listened to it yet, it was a great conversation. Um, but today we have Phil Collier with us today. Hi, Phil. How's it going? I'm doing great, David. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Um, just to remind everybody, we are connected digitally today. Um, we had a little challenge connecting to the Anchor app, and so we're trying uh, trying it a different way today. And so if you hear some digital issues, well, that's we're just rolling with it. So um, I'm I'm so thankful you're here today, Phil. Um, we get to go over Palm Sunday, our first digital Palm Sunday um, from church. And yeah, yeah. How, um, how, how are you holding up in, in, I'm waving my hands, gesturing all of this? <laughs> well, it's an unusual time, uh, but holding up pretty well. It's uh, just setting new rhythms and doing some of the things I've always done, but sometimes at a different time of the day or in a different location. So it, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit lost, but never in despair. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I, I, I'm, I've, I've been, uh, my last episode, I definitely talked about it with Aaron, but I've been on the, a little bit of a struggle with um, finding myself falling into some old, um, not healthy um, productivity drive it through the stress, whatever. I, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well. Like um, I push myself really hard when I get stressed, right? And so it's kind of been a bit, little bit of a vicious cycle to be very productive at home. And so now I'm realizing I have to like step back a little. Yeah, I think that productivity has certainly been an issue. I'm either absolutely overwired for what I'm doing or I, I seem to have no energy at all. <laughs> yep, yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel like that. I'm a I, I don't know. Um, we talked a little bit about it last week. I'm an Enneagram three, which is achiever. And sure. Aaron Aaron brought that up last time. She's like, Well, that's a very number three thing to say. And I was like, Oh, well And I it also of- means if you're a three on the Enneagram, this is a very hard time for you because an unhealthy three can go in places, you know, bad places, uh, if they don't have connection to uh, you know a group and that sort of thing uh so yeah you're going to need some special uh, enneagram three juice uh i'm a one so 
I'm unable to achieve the perfection that would take me back to the Garden of Eden uh, because of all the disintermediation that we're <laughs> facing here. So that's my problem is I can't do it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I need to do more research. I haven't, I haven't done much with the Enneagram um, when we were, we'll talk about it, but when we were on our, our retreat, that they, they had me take the Enneagram test because everyone wanted to know. <laughs> sure. Everybody All has right. a number and yeah, it works. All right. So um, let's go ahead and move into the interview. And as normal, everyone, I always have my standard first two questions and then the third one's a little more tailored. Um, so, Phil, how long have you been at HBC and what brought you here? Well, it's been a long time. Uh, Kathy and I moved to Louisville in uh, February of 1980. And so we started trying out some churches, uh, visiting all around. And one day we just decided we would walk two blocks to this church on the corner at uh, Cherokee and Gridstead. And, uh, you know, we thought it was just going to be a Baptist church. And we went in, and it was anything but just a Baptist church. They had an amazing uh, minister there, Don Burke, who had a really uh, interesting and thoughtful uh, sermon content and style. Uh, the music was wonderful. And that first day that we visited Highland, we had Sunday school uh, class with our teacher being Pat Ramsey. And she was very, very good. She was a good listener as well as being a good teacher. And we met lots of folks. Uh, and within several months, we were part of Highland Baptist Church. So it's been, oh my gosh, 40 years. Yeah. Well, and you've, 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 uh, and when did, um, uh, I, I think everyone who probably will listen to this knows, but in case somebody doesn't, um, you are married to Kathy. Collier, the music minister, and your um, daughter, Carol, is our, she's got that long title, and I always forget it, Congregational Engagement. Right, right. Pastor yeah, of, I, am, I, yeah. Am, I am known more for who I am related to than, than myself, and that's a nice place to be, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, no, I've been married to Kathy since 1978, uh, and we had have two children. Tom is our oldest and he is a lawyer in Chicago, Illinois and is married and they have one boy. And then of course, Carol and Drew uh, have been married since 2007 and have their three boys. So I, I connect in with that crew. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, we're, you know, a, a lot of times we're in um, Sunday school and we see each other often. So I, I get to interact with you more than them. So I know you as Phil Collier and that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, but, I appreciate uh, but, that. But you're also, which is why you're here, you're also on the Young Adult Ministry Group. Did you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I'm enjoying that. Uh, I've been on a lot of different groups with the church uh, and kind of took a holiday from that for a season, but I've come back and I've really enjoyed being a member of the young adult group, not because I'm a young adult, but because I get to feed off the energy of those that are. <laughs> and also just learn a lot more uh, by listening and hearing what's going on with, uh, uh, with a different generation and what their needs and desires and dreams are. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, one of the reasons that Highland is a great place to go is because it has such an active and thoughtful group of young adults.
Yes, I agree completely. I, I served my time on that committee long time ago, and I've I've not been back, but I I love the work and in seeing where it's gone since the beginning. So, yeah, yeah, just like like this podcast, you know, I think yeah, the the podcast is a is a nice outgrowth of it. It's not something I would have thought of being uh, in the baby boomers, but I love it. Yeah, well, thank you. It was, you know, I, I took the idea and ran with it, but it was definitely born from a seed at, at a retreat. So, and that's what I, that's, that, that's something I love about the community that they're also down with just trying stuff. So, all right. So num question number two, how do you spend your time? Well, it's changed a little bit, uh, as we talked about earlier, but basically, I'm still working full-time uh, as uh, a litigation lawyer in a large law firm, uh, and so I spent a lot of time representing people and businesses in what I would generally describe as business litigation, and that involves folks who are involved in fights, many of them uh, extended periods of time and complicated and difficult to uh, bring to a close, at least to a happy close. So that takes a lot of my time and energy and I enjoy doing that actually. Uh, uh, I spend a lot of my time uh, with my church community. And so that kind of is the balance with that. Uh, I've always enjoyed uh, going to worship, uh, enjoying Bible study, uh, being involved with mission work at Highland and the like. And then uh, I guess after that, I, I love being outdoors. I love doing anything physical, running, gardening, uh, fishing, uh, hiking, walking. So I guess that's the way I spend my time. I used to be, I'm a recovering musician. I used to be a full-time musician back in college and just after that, but I really haven't done much in music uh, in the last several years. Yes, I, I always forget. We are clarinet brothers. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been really bad about playing that any during all of this but i did i did last week i bought a a book of it has some it took it's like a broadway show tunes jazz book with the cd oh, cool. so i did cool. buy that and thought i'd give that a go since i've been i need some more creative outlets <laughs> absolutely I, th I think i'm gonna be picking up my instrument soon too mm-hmm all right, and then I guess number three is uh, tell us about the Bible study you're in, the Prodigals. I love talking about the Prodigals. Uh, uh, the Prodigals are a group that have been around, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years. Uh, and I think one of the reasons I really fell in love with this group is it just has such a range of people in it. Uh, nobody really is like the other. Everybody kind of bring something different to the group. And uh, we have three teachers that rotate that do a terrific job of kind of asking questions. And it's a sort of a Bible study where we definitely study the Bible, uh, but we don't necessarily leave with answers. We try to find out the right questions. And uh, uh, Mary Burks is one of our uh, teachers uh, who is uh, head of chaplains at Norton. We have uh, Bob Cunningham who was a chaplain for many years. Uh, we have Walter McCorder, who is our ex executive director at church now. And uh, all three of those folks do a terrific job of kind of shepherding the discussion and drawing us out. But 
I guess to close, what I would say about the prodigals is uh, it's an authentic group that is not afraid to share from their heart and from their life experience and to invite the mystery uh, rather than just try to come up with an answer. Yeah. And a disclaimer is uh, Stephen and I also go to the prodigals when, <laughs> when we go. Um, hey, we our, love it. We love it when you go and we, you know, it's it always, you know, bring something special. So you guys, just like me being on the, uh, uh, the young adult uh, committee ministry group, uh, you guys are our young people. So we love having our young people. Yeah. And we, we really, you know, uh, I, I've, I don't, I'm not talked too much about my the my Sunday school experience, but for Stephen and I, it's, it was really nice to join um, the prodigals and and us not being always Sunday school people and stopping in. You all have been very gracious when we when we do make it in there because sometimes we are rushing out the door to get to church because we wake up too late, and then we're starving, and so it's like well. <laughs> But sometimes we do stick it out because there will be a great, amazing service that we just want to discuss. And that's one of the things I love about it is we always get to hear the sermon and then we get to discuss it. And that's one of the things I love about this podcast, too, is because we get to get a little deeper and kind of talk about it. Agree. I agree. All right. Well, um, that covers us for the interview. Um, We're going to take a short break. and. Aaron Phelps is going to give us an update on what's going on at church, um, and I expect her to run through the the Holy Week activities, and there will be a few more this week. So, Aaron Phelps, go right ahead. Here are the announcements for this week. First of all, we are having Holy Week services online. Um, So Monday, Thursday, and the Friday Tenebrae service will be at 7 o'clock on Thursday and Friday via the Facebook. And then also, of course, as usual, there will be a service on Sunday on Facebook to celebrate Easter. Also, the young adults uh, at Highland Baptist are trying to support our essential workers and healthcare workers in the best way we can. Um, And so we just want to treat some folks. And if you want to nominate someone from the Highland community who is working on the front lines of uh, the COVID crisis, feel free to email Lauren Jones Mayfield to um, nominate your essential care worker. And we would just love to take care of them in a little way we can with a DoorDash card. Um, We may not be able to help everyone, but we'd like to try to support the Highland community who are working so hard. So if you would like to do that, there are also more pieces of information on the Highland Young Adult Facebook page and Instagram for details on how to send in your nomination. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Aaron, so much for those updates. Um, Now we're going to talk about the sermon. So this past Sunday was Palm Sunday, and our proclaimer was Jim England. If you have not watched it yet, it was on Facebook Live, or it was on Facebook. So go look up the church's page and listen to it if you want. Um, The gospel passage that we covered was Matthew 11, 12 through 17. 
and the title of Jim's sermon was Street Theater. Um, I will put out a little uh, warning. I'm not going to hack. I'm not actually going to have any excerpts from the sermon this week. There was uh, a little bit of like a lawnmower going on in the background, and I don't know that I can clean that up enough for the podcast. But Phil is here, and we're going to talk about it. So, hey, welcome back, Phil. And yeah, what did you think of the sermon this weekend? Well, I thought, like most Jim England sermons, it's it's thoughtful. Um, certainly it's a story we're familiar with. So I think there's always a temptation to say, oh, well, I've just, I've heard this so many times and there's not anything fresh. But I thought that Jim really brought out some parts of the story that I thought were really fascinating. And I would, I would just start by saying that uh, he, he did a really good job of drawing a contrast between the Roman military parade uh, and Jesus' entry in Jerusalem, uh, of course, on Palm Sunday, we're quite familiar with the kids waving the palms, and we always put on, an, you know, some version, a festival version of Palm Sunday with the children waving the palm branches at us as, as the procession happens, and of course, we have Jesus coming in on the donkey followed by the colt, and what Jim did is instead of starting with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, he started with the Roman military parade from the front end uh, of the front gate of Jerusalem. And he emphasized how solemn, intimidating, oppressing, and purposeful it was. Uh, the use of state power to suppress violence, to suppress uh, movements of liberation. And on the other hand, he talked about the parade coming in the back gate near the temple uh, where Jesus was coming in from Bethphage on a donkey with a colt tethered to it and the disciples coming in. And I guess what I was left to wonder about, David, is, you know, what is it about a parade, street theater, as Jim calls it, that is so compelling? Um, you know, I don't know about you, David, but since I was in bands, I marched in a number of parades. Did you do that? Mm -hmm. I did. I loved marching band. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> and so I, I've both been in parades and I've also watched them because I go to the Pegasus Parade every year. And I always enjoy the pageantry and all the kind of strange things you see in a parade. But I guess that the reason that the use of a story about a street parade is so compelling is for me, a parade is about myth-making, myth-establishing. Um, you know, you, first of all, you have a long series of uh, people. They're, they're actually doing the walking, and those people represent something. Uh, you know, if you're in the Pegasus Parade, uh, they always have a little banner that goes with what they represent, and they're usually doing something that matches up with uh, what they're about. So. In the Pegasus Parade, you might have some accountants with briefcases or, uh, or the like. Well, this, this parade was no different. Uh, you had Jesus coming in uh, on a donkey uh, with some ragtag disciples. At the front gate, you had the Romans coming in with their swords and their shields and their war chariots. And each one was making a myth about themselves. Uh, each one was 
speaking to the audience. And I, I would say, David, one of the things unique about a parade is if you're watching a parade, you see one little piece of it. And it's a very temporal thing where somebody just goes by and you see a horse, uh, you see a float, you see a band, but you only see that one little piece of it. So you draw uh, your myth making from the experience of something passing you by. Mm. And I just think that is a very compelling way to kind of subconsciously take in a message or a myth. Uh, I don't know what you think about that or how you react to that, David. Yeah, so it's interesting to think about being on the outside of parades, and that's not being as involved as I am. I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of just watching a parade, but I've always found myself in parades. And so, for example, like going, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and marching band in Cincinnati. What do you do if you're in a marching band in April or in March? You march in the opening day parade, right? And so sure. did that for the Reds my whole high school. Um, and then uh, I guess the, la the, the, the parades I've mostly been involved in in the last 10 years would be pride parades, but I've always walked in those as well. And so I never really thought about the, the idea of myth-making, but it makes so much sense. The last parade I got to just view would have been this last year in, in 2019. Um, Stephen and I got to travel up to uh, New York City for the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And wow. we got to kind of witness the parade. And I, I don't know, I don't, I'll be honest, Phil, I've never been to a parade that big. The parade wow. lasted eight full hours of people going by. Goodness. And we did not stay there for eight hours. We would check in occasionally. We, we sometimes even saw some celebrities, heard like Hillary Clinton hopped in at one point. All of these, it was, it was absolutely incredible. But it was also like, you know, overwhelming. And I, and, and that's the sense I think that, that Jim was trying to make here is that, you know, the front parade that's going on was overwhelming. Yeah, and, absolutely. Absolutely. It was overwhelming. And, and the message, you know, I guess one question I asked is, did each audience get the message? And I think on the first parade, the Roman parade, the message was, was not subtle. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was, here is the spear that will pierce your breast. Here is the chariot that will run over your group if you decide to cause a problem. Uh, and we own you guys. And so that was, I think the audience probably got that message. I think the interesting thing that Jim brought out in his sermon, though, on kind of the alternative parade coming in the back door, uh, most of the crowd thought this was a binary world. They thought, okay, message A is Roman power will destroy you. That's coming in the front gate. And on the backside, apparently, a lot of the crowd thought, oh, this is just the opposite. Jesus is going to respond to power with power. He is going to lead a revolt against the Romans that came in the front gate. That's what this is about.
And I thought that Jim, you know, spent a good bit of his sermon explaining the reasons that the audience didn't get the message. Why did they, you know, why did they go from praising Jesus uh, one day and then four days later he's being tried to be hung, uh, to be uh, put on the cross? So I thought that was one of the interesting things about the parades is one of the parades was misread, mm -hmm. uh, at least by most of the people. And I thought that was that was a fascinating part of what Jim had to say. Uh, I think another thing. Yeah, go ahead, David. No, I was just going to say, and the, and he talks about it more, and we'll probably get more into this. But the, the this the idea of nationalistic patriotism, and all I can think of is today's political climate. Like that, that's constantly in the back of my head as I listen to Jim's sermon here, as he talks about the religious zealots and how how it drives the whole scene for the rest of the week yeah yeah i mean i think i think that first parade you know jim explains is about fear uh the audience was invited to fear uh and uh you know the second audience the second parade what was it invited to do uh and i think that really brought out to me uh, Jim's riff on fear and longing. And one of the questions that came to me was, you know, what is the difference between fear and longing? What's the relationship? Uh, I think, uh, you know, if you fear something, then it's very human to long for comfort, to long for a solution, to, to long for a resolution of that fear and so fear can be a direct cause of longing uh, you know for example you know in today's climate you may be because you were afraid of what's going on nationally in politics you may be longing for some sort of solution you know uh, mm -hmm. there are a number of possible solutions but some of us have, have cycled through maybe eight nine or ten of those uh, and so I think that uh, the question we have to ask for ourselves today from this sermon is what is it we fear? What is it that people fear? And I think we could start listing a few examples. I think people fear the other, the stranger, mm -hmm. uh, the foreigner. Uh, people fear someone who doesn't hold their view, someone who has not had the same color of skin. And these fears have been brought out into the public square in a way I haven't seen in my lifetime. Uh, and I think what's happened is those longings have produced something which is dangerous. And, and Jim mm -hmm. talks about that in his sermon. Uh, he talks about, uh, you know, if you see a threat from the Romans and your response is to get your own swords and spears, then what you have is a war with plenty of blood. Uh, and so I think Jim addressed that and asked the question of how do you how do you deal with fear that is creating a dangerous longing? David, what did you have some thoughts on that listening to Jim? Yeah, yeah, and it really kind of made me think of right now everyone's at home, right? 
there's there's yeah. all this it, there's all this fear around catching the coronavirus and maybe even a greater fear of passing it on to our loved ones right and right and there's all of these i guess uh things that we may have may have taken a little bit for granted that we're realizing in our ability to go out and see people and touch people and and there's i guess the the longing of the things where we don't have anymore which is what you were talking i mean right the, the fear and longing yeah they go they go hand in hand yes there, there's a definite relationship i mean jim talks about the uh hebrew people's golden memories of the time of king david and so in a way they were kind of the make america great again uh, mm -hmm. folks they wanted to make israel great again they want they longed for a time when israel would be militarily dominant mm -hmm. uh they you know where they would have control or at least feel like they had control over their fate mm -hmm. uh you know and and of course the way they were going to achieve that was through matching Rome's power with power. Um, what they didn't get was Jesus' parade was about other values. Mm -hmm. It was about humility, humanity, forgiveness, generosity. Uh, it was for, really, his parade was about loving one's enemies, including the Romans. <laughs> they certainly right. didn't get that message. They didn't see that coming. <laughs> nope. Uh, and so, yeah, Jesus reframes the whole thing. That's what uh, Jim talks about. It's Jesus reframing uh, who, who Jesus' enemies are. They're not the Romans. They, his enemies are injustice, exploitation, like in the temple, uh, shaming, exclusion, disease, uh, poverty. Uh, and when it became apparent, that's what Jesus was interested in, and not overthrowing the Romans, as Jim says, the hosannas that they had been shadowed turned hollow. Uh, and so uh, I think fear and longing can take us down a dark road. And it's a challenging place to be. How, you know, how can we uh, respond to difficult situations, situations that produce fear, uh, and use Jesus' reframing of what's required. I think it's not easy. No. I yeah. mean, it sounds pretty hard to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and that kind of takes me to Jim's, the last thing I hear to, that I noticed that I want to talk about in Jim's sermon is I thought it was interesting that he quoted Mahatma Gandhi for the premise that non-cooperation with evil is as much a duty as cooperation with the good. Mm. Uh, and that particular quote comes from Gandhi's closing argument in his trial in Ahmedabad uh, when he was getting ready to be sentenced and put into prison. And uh, he was trying to explain a doctrine that he had coined when he was working in South Africa called Satya Graha. Uh, and that comes from the Sanskrit words for truth and firmness. Um, and uh, so I think Jim seemed to hit it on the target there, I thought, when he was connecting Gandhi with Jesus. But I guess we could, we could ask the question, <laughs> is there really a connection between Gandhi and Jesus? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, 
and I think there is. I think, you know, Gandhi's own autobiography and his other writings showed that, you know, he was uh, uh, a great reader of the Bible and particularly of the New Testament and was a huge fan of Jesus. Uh, he also loved, you know, Henry David uh, Thoreau. and <laughs> He loved a lot of other writers. John Ruskin uh, is another. And, didn't, and he, uh, didn't he communicate with Thomas Merton? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I can't remember whether he did that, but it certainly would be consistent with Thomas Merton and with Gandhi. The bottom line is that, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, contains some of the principles that Gandhi used in formulating this satyagraha, which he says, that's not uh, passive resistance. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, what Gandhi was saying, it's not just being passive because you could actually do violence to folks by being passive uh he said it's it's more than nonviolence, though what he demanded is that to fight injustice you have to present yourself uh, before the metaphorical court if you will to receive the highest penalty uh, that could be assessed against you uh, i've got a little uh, excerpt from Gandhi's closing argument in that trial, and he says, uh, I am here, therefore, to invite and submit cheerfully to the highest penalty that can be inflicted upon me for what in law is deliberate crime and what appears to me to be the highest duty of a citizen. He understood that if there was an evil law or the evil application of a law, that the best way to strike it down is not to avoid it, but to accept the penalty and the consequences and to challenge it, uh, challenge the law that will expose it rather than trying to avoid it. I, I thought of an example, David, which I'm sure you're aware of, and that's uh, the recent uh, United States Supreme Court case, mm -hmm. Obergefell, which of course uh, included some of our Highland members as well, uh, Bojangles and uh, Dominique, mm -hmm. and what they did was what Gandhi suggested. They went to an office uh, and refused to leave, and they submitted themselves to a penalty for their belief in justice. And as a result, there was a Supreme Court case which eventually pointed out the injustice of the law and overturned it. Uh, so I think that you know Jim's Gandhi connection is a sound one. I think that non-cooperation with evil is is all about what justice is here and i think to close that out what jim says about it is uh, if you love enough loving eventually becomes justice and that's how we love large groups of people who have been marginalized yeah well Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Um, I I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I always enjoy listening to you, Phil. I, I, I'm I'm a fanboy, just so you know. <laughs> I, I, I am. I, I, Stephen Stephen gets to hear me say that. You'll you'll say something profound in Bible study, and I'll come home and be like, "Did you hear what Phil Collier said?" So. <laughs> Well, so, this is, I appreciate the opportunity to, to think a lot about a sermon, and certainly I think Jim's sermon was, was packed with thoughtful meaning, and, uh, you know, 
uh, think I'll think more about it as time yeah. goes on. Yeah. Well, um, just, you know, as I close out here, this is always an invitation to you as well as I'm trying to get more people to send me messages on some of their quick thoughts about sermons as well. Um, and with the Anchor app, you can drop me a voicemail and I can listen to it and include it on a future podcast. Oh, so cool. I, I invite, didn't know that. Yeah. So I invite you all, if you, if you download the Anchor FM app and create an account and find the, the comments at HBC Podcast, you can send me a voicemail and I can, like I said, hear it and even include it on a future, future uh, uh, podcast. So yeah, I, I, I'm hoping people people would consider engaging in that way because it's 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 fun to get other perspectives and that's that's one of my favorite things about the podcast right now is is talking to so many people absolutely i've really enjoyed it so far too all right well um that's it for today you all um this sunday so there's a bunch happening this weekend we have um a Monday Thursday service that's going to be on Facebook from my understanding we have a tenebrae service that's going to happen on Friday and then we have Easter Sunday this Sunday so let's uh, make sure you tune in and participate and um, going to see uh, what I can um, you know right now do I have that written down make sure who my next host was I don't have a host right now for, or a co-host for this weekend. So I'll figure that out in the meantime. And, uh, but yeah, thank you so much again for being with us, Phil. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. All right. That's all. Have a great day, everybody.